up his bag. Hey, George, I made it. All the way back from the Antipodes. All the way to the nether end of the globe. Somewhere, someplace, the sun is shining. The birds are singing. And it's Australia. And it's the middle of a fall afternoon. Okay, that's enough of that. That's enough. Old Shep is back. He brought his Hogan twanger. This is probably the only Jews harp that has traveled all the way to Australia and back by way of Singapore, Bangkok, Calcutta, Karachi, and uh, Cairo by way of Frankfurt, Germany. <laughs> oh, boy, am I glad to be back. It's a terrible thing, you know, to have to admit this, but one of the greatest moments that you ever have in any trip this is a personal comment here, of course. Uh, one of the one of the really great moments is when oh, you're about ten minutes out from Idlewild Airport, and you know that you're home. You know you look down, uh, and if I if I told you what the first thing I recognized was, you wouldn't believe it. The first thing that I recognized in the states from the air, after having flown uh, over. Over Borneo and uh, Java and oh boy, every place. Just take a look at the map and you'll see where I was. Uh, the first thing that I recognized was a Howard Johnson. <laughs> well, you just can't miss, you know, that, that orange roof standing out. And uh, it was the first thing that I, I really could recognize and say, there, there it is. It's an old HJ. You know, the funny thing about, about flying, after you fly... Uh, really a, a fur piece. After you've really, really, uh, for those of you who don't know what this is all about, uh, about three or four weeks ago now, it's been about four weeks, hasn't it, Don? It's been a long time. Three weeks and a half and there, thereabouts. I took off uh, from Idlewild Airport in an aircraft bound for Europe. And uh, actually the starting point of the trip really was Frankfurt, Germany. And from Frankfurt, Germany, the plane went to Athens. And from Athens, it went to, uh, let's see, the next stop after Athens was Karachi, Pakistan. And uh, after Karachi, Pakistan, the next stop was uh, Bangkok. And after that, Singapore. And after that, Darwin, Australia, and then into Sydney. Now, that, that uh, you know, when you say a thing like this, it's a... It sounds uh, it's fairly cut and dried, but yet, the, or does it sound cut and dried to you? Yet, I can tell you the, the, the one of the things that hits me more than anything else about global traveling is the peculiar unreality to it. It gets to the point uh, when you're really traveling long distances, I mean hops of three and four thousand miles from one truly foreign country to another truly foreign country, it gets to the point where you begin to believe that the various countries are props for the airport. They're props for the airlines. You don't really think they're real countries. One of the oddest feelings, for example, uh, was landing in Asia after having been in Europe, after having been in Greece, and after having been... Because all the airports, by the way, inside look alike. You're always in the airport at 2.30 in the morning. And there are always people standing behind the duty-free shop. Every duty-free shop in any airport in the world looks exactly alike. 
loaded with Sony transistor radios. There are 5,000 types. I never realized that Parker Pen made as many pens. They're, they're all on sale in the duty-free shops in places like Singapore. Uh, Ronson Lighters. Uh, and and uh, what people do, I mean, how, how people jump out of a plane in the middle of the night in some place like Calcutta and immediately rush over and buy a Ronson desk set when they're 5,000 miles away from the nearest civilized outpost. I don't know, but this is, this is the kind of unreality that you get when you're doing truly transcontinental, uh, intercontinental flying. And, of course, uh, the, the, the peculiar kind of unreality that begins to develop, you begin to... Uh, there's a certain kind of uh, international quality. The, the, there is a jet set, but let me tell you this. The jet set is not... Believe me, people who go to discotheques on 55th Street. Why they call this the jet set, I don't know. I, I, the real jet set, the, real, the, the people who really fly over the earth constantly, day and night, are not really reported. And this is the real jet set. Uh, I sat next to a guy who was an international traveling salesman, literally an international traveling salesman. Now, where did I run into this guy? Uh, it was on the hop between uh, Darwin and Singapore. This guy flies probably 200,000 miles a month, uh, and he's an international traveler. He's a true jet set guy, a uh, true jet uh, flyer. He knows, he knows all the pilots by their first name. Uh, he, <laughs> he's flown on all the air. He sees an air, aircraft. He looks at the serial number DG70402. He says, oh, boy. He says, this thing's got very noisy flaps. Uh, he's flown on all the airplanes. He knows the whole scene. Now, that uh, that kind of man, what sort of view does he have of the countries he visits? Well, it's very hard to tell you. And, of course, the, 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 uh, the odd things that happen in traveling sometimes are so odd. Uh, when you're really in a country, it's so different from what you think a country is like. Uh, for example, Thailand. I don't know how you think Thailand is. Uh, I guess most of us uh, were brought up on the king of King and I. Uh, our idea of uh, of Thailand is the king of Siam, a uh, little little uh, Richard Rogers type music. Well, it ain't like that. It just isn't. Uh, first of all, on one hand, it is more like that than you ever would believe. On the other hand, it is something else again. It's an indescribable thing, and I. Uh, how can I describe a scene of me at noon sitting in a Thailand restaurant? It's a Thai restaurant in Bangkok with a girl from Thailand. By the way, for, for those of you who might be interested in that side of it, uh, you cannot believe the girls of Thailand. They are incredibly beautiful. Uh, just, uh, just, it's like you're looking at a whole series of illusions when you're walking down the street in Thailand. I don't know what it is. It's the climate. It must be uh, uh, that and uh, racial heritage and all kinds of other things. But there's a peculiar quality. There's a strange look in the eye to the people in Thailand. They, they, this is probably the most friendly people on the face of the globe. Uh, these people are, are, are literally uh, children of nature. And yet they're not. I was in this uh, peculiar nightclub restaurant. Now, let me describe the scene. I'm with this Thai girl. At, uh, and uh, I said, look, I want to go to a, a restaurant where people, uh, you, the Thai people eat. You know, I don't want to go to a, a, a tourist joint or anything like that. Oh, so you want to go to a restaurant? And I said, yes, I want to go to a restaurant. 
That's the way they talk. Want to call a restaurant? Well, <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to bring all the Thai people home, you know. As a matter of fact, I I was uh, trying to get myself a big flight bag so I could bring back about four dozen of them. You know, just let them run around the limelighter, just let them loose here on the twenty third floor to brighten things up a little bit. Oh, so let's go, let's want. Well, so uh, they really do talk like that. So she said, uh, she says, oh, uh, I take a restaurant. Oh, good, very good restaurant. And I said, well, let's go, baby. And so five minutes later, we are causing an uproar in uh, <laughs> in Thailand by doing something that apparently, and I didn't, I had no idea that it wasn't done. It, it's never done by tourists. That uh, the traffic in Bangkok is in, insane, absolutely incredible. Uh, it's not like traffic jams in New York. Our big cars, there's a certain order to your to our traffic jams here. But the traffic jams, any traffic jam I've ever seen anywhere in the Orient, is complete chaos. Totally and utterly, it's chaotic from beginning to end. First of all, because of the number and the type of vehicles involved. There will be 14 guys riding in single file on bicycles, one-wheel bicycles, all carrying bananas on their head. Well, you don't run into that in Sixth Avenue very often. There will be two guys fist fighting a camel. Uh, there will be there will be 18 guys carrying a dugout canoe upside down on there. This is all in the middle of the rush day traffic. These are things which I observe right on the streets. Then there's a guy out, a guy. Uh, what do they call uh, drying out, uh, walking off a horse, a racehorse, drying out, walking him off. Well, it doesn't make cooling him off. Cooling them out. Well, here, here in the middle of traffic, there is a jockey running down the street. Now, now, where this was, I don't know where the racetrack was. There's a jockey. Now he's a jockey. He's got the silks on. He's running down the street and he's cooling out a racehorse. And the horse guy, he's got foam all over him. <laughs> he's just running the third race. And there he is in the middle of all these. The horns are yelling at him and in Thai or whatever the language is. So this is the kind of cacophony, and it's it's very exciting. And at the same time, it causes a peculiar lethargy on the part of a Westerner. It gets so chaotic that you sort of just look, you finally pull your head into your shell, you know, like a turtle, and just sit there. And the temperature, oh, man, I'll tell you, over the entire scene, the sun is hanging. I'm at Bangkok. The sun is directly overhead, and they have a special sun in that part of the world. This is a sun that's got horns on it. Let me tell you, it's got horns on it. It's got hoofs. It's got hair on it. This sun, this sun is like, uh, no wonder these guys believe in dragons. It's the sun that does it. Boy, long tongues of fire are coming right. I could feel this this tongue of fire hit me on the head. Well, <laughs> it's really hot. And, and uh, I have just spent the morning riding in a, in a, in a strange little boat. Uh, all up and down through the the uh, water, the river, the canals. You know, most of, of Bangkok, the people live in canals. They live on on boats. You know, uh, you probably know that it's it's the Venice of the East. Oh yeah, and they have an entire population of people. It's called a floating market. An entire population of people who never leave their boats. And in fact, uh, it's only uh, ten minutes from the, the heart of Bangkok. In fact, there are thousands of people who have never been even in to Bangkok. They live the way they've lived for hundreds of years. Some of the boats, two, three hundred years. And the people sit there and yell and holler at you as you go along in your little outboard boat. They have outboard taxis. 
uh, with these wild outboard motors, and they drive just like taxi drivers. Have you ever seen a nutty Thai outboard taxi driver? They're just like these nuts on 6th Avenue. Cut you off. I'll tell you, I'm in a boat. We're going along. There's just three of us. And here's this staid guy driving this little boat. When all of a sudden, from behind, we hear, and I look around, and I see this little sliver of a dugout canoe with this real raunchy-looking guy. You know, he's sort of a pockmarked face, a real cab. He's chewing beetle nutter, spitting over. And he's got his outboard motor. They have a special kind of outboard motor that has a long shaft that sticks way out and back. The shaft is about 10 feet long. And it's got this little motor hanging on the end of it, and it is a screamer. It's, he's, the thing is, is like a beater. It's, a, it's not like an outboard motor. It's, it's more like a, oh, like a, a sunbeam food beater or something like that. You know, like, it screams, and he goes, ah, ah, ah. he's honking a horn, and his meter is ticking away. He cuts in front of us, and the wash goes over on our boat, and and uh, and our driver, who's a tie driver, he's a an, an enigmatic, phlegmatic-looking guy. He goes, he honks the horn, and oh man, and uh, so so I'm sitting there in one of the dugout canoes, eating eating uh, eating fried bananas. Uh, the banana, of course, is uh, is the national food. I mean, everybody eats bananas there, uh, like uh, people eat Wheaties here in the States. Yeah, bananas, bananas, bananas. Thousands of little kids all swimming in the water there, all, all taking their morning bath naked, bobbing up and down in the lotus blossoms. And I'm sitting there looking at these fantastic girls, all of them coming in a very, very... Uh, there's a, there's a peculiar kind of femininity. They're they're almost ultra feminine. You think they're they're all out of some bad movie by you know John Ford movie of some kind. You expect uh, Robert Mitchum to appear on the scene any second now. And <laughs> these lovely girls are going, oh oh so they bow they bow to you and they they pass you more bananas and they go sort of skulk back into their little dugout canoes and uh, the, their eyes are peering out. Everybody's cheering and everybody's laughing everywhere you go in in the in Thailand. It's a beautiful beautiful country. Well, all right, so I spent the morning doing that. Now suddenly I am back in the heart of Thailand, right in the heart of Bangkok itself. Right? Uh, I bet I bet not more than one or two of you can tell me what kind of money they use in Bangkok. What is the national, like we have the dollar, England has the pound, uh, Australia has the pound, uh... You know what? What? What is the unit of money? The 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 French, of course, have the franc. The Italians have the lira. What is the unit of money in Thailand? And I have some right here with me. I have I have a whole wad of it right here. Now, what is it? I'll, I'll give you the brass figurine with bronze oak leaf palm. If you can tell me what it is. Well, I've got a whole wad of these things. See, so yeah, the first thing you do when you get out of a plane in the airport is to rush over to the bank. There's an international bank in any, every one of these international airports, and you take out a $10 bill or a $20 bill, and you buy some local money. If you don't, you are in T-R-U-B-L-E, T-R-U-B-L-E. Uh, can you imagine me going into the Horn and Hard Art right now with two Borneo dollars? Seriously? <laughs> I've got some right here. Uh, but uh, can you tell me the name of the money they have there, Don? Do you know what it is? It's a great name for money. And uh, it's paper. Well, they got some They got some uh, silver money, but their silver money all looks kind of scrodgy and all beat up. It's the paper money that counts. And anyway, here I am right in the middle of Bangkok now. I've spent the morning uh, going up and down through the, uh, through the market there in that heat and eating bananas and eyeing the chicks and 
watching the kids and, wa- and watching a group of guys uh, dye clothes down in the river. Just a beautiful country. You just everywhere you look, you know, there are certain places where you where you go, where every everything you look at, without exception, is foreign. Everything you look at is different. Uh, you go to most countries in Europe, and it all looks uh, pretty much like Westchester. Uh, large, peri- large parts of Europe look like Long Island, just a little bit out of focus. But not so in the Far East, and particularly a country as beautiful as Bangkok, or, or a city as beautiful as Bangkok. Everywhere you look, things look a vaguely... Everything looks interesting. Everything looks different. And here I am, right in the middle of, of traffic, and doing something which is causing an uproar. And I did not know why. I was causing a traffic jam. I was with another guy, and we. Uh, this girl is taking us around, this a pure Bangkok native, a Thai girl, and uh, she was going to get a cab. Now, it might interest you to know that almost all the taxi cabs, in fact, large numbers, I'd say by far the majority of the automobiles that you see in a place like Bangkok are from Japan. Uh, boy, you really see how Japan has uh, taken over the Far East economically. When you get over there, everything is Japanese. Japanese cars, uh, there are Japanese automobiles that I've never seen in the States. Hundreds and hundreds of different types of cars and trucks and uh, all kinds of vehicles that are built by Japanese hands. Uh, Japanese buses, uh, thousands of types of Japanese cameras, because we all know about the cameras and the radios and that sort of thing. But Japanese soft drinks, for example, you never think of that. Well, they have Japanese soft drinks that come out of their equivalent of Coke machines. And, of course, they've got the Coca-Colas over there. Everybody, that's one of the world things. Everywhere you go, there's Coca-Cola. And now, of course, everywhere you go, there is Pepsi-Cola, too. I have found this out. They are thinking young uh, in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, you see the big side of that. Oh, so thank young. Oh, speaking of the guys with the uh, young hang-up, this is WOR, AM and FM, New York. And I'm back. Do you want to hear more about Bangkok and Thailand? Uh, let's get a few of the little whoopies there. Nothing has changed. The button still works. Here is comes your the car dog. old enough to smoke? Uh, what did you say? I said, is your car old enough to smoke? Surprising how many cars are. A car needn't be old to smoke. Some cars start burning oil early. If your car uses too much oil, give it Prestone Oil Miser. Prestone Oil Miser is just what the name says. A miser for oil. Prestone Oil Miser stops oil burning, restores lost power, quiets noisy engines, cuts exhaust smoking. Prestone Oil Miser stops piston slap, too, makes worn engines run quieter. Just add a can of Prestone Oil Miser to your regular oil. Insist on Prestone Oil Miser, a brand you know, a brand you can trust, wherever auto supplies are sold. If your car's old enough to smoke... And it's surprising how many cars are. Get Prestone Oil Miser. That's wiser by far. Prestone Oil Miser is a product of Union Carbide. Okay, you got another one there? Oh, oh, oh hold on there for a minute. There. What? This is a toothpaste, isn't it? What is this? McLean's? Is that a toothpaste? McLean's. I never heard of it. What is it? A new product since, uh, since I left the country? Boy, I'll tell you, all you've got to do is leave America alone for five minutes. And it turns into a nut. Go ahead, hit it. Here's Sandy Stewart from McLean's. It's McLean's, the toothpaste that cleans with a new kind of taste that is wise. What a taste, 
It's so lively, so dazzling, you can actually feel it whitening. Come on now, try new McLean's. You'll love it. What a taste of what a rock and roll toothpaste now? When will it ever stop? <laughs> How far will it ever go? <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. we got a couple of more commercials here. You know, I, you can probably tell I'm glad to be back. So so glad to be back. I'm totally disorganized. Uh, you know, speaking of disorganization, let's, let's get a few of these commercials done here. Let's see. Have you ever heard of birds that fly backwards? Birds that can zero in on an island 6,000 miles away? That devil. Today's scientists are unlocking many secrets of the birds. What is this, a bird commercial? Has Peggy been selling them a bill of goods here again? Cat commercials. And now this growing treasury of knowledge about the birds is yours to explore free for 10 days in a beautiful 192-page Life Nature Library book filled with hundreds of glorious illustrations in color. Here you and your children will meet such wonders as the red-footed booby. Yeah, that's a wonder. I've been working for a red-footed booby now for ten years. You need to tell me for crying out loud. The whisker-faced kiwi. <laughs> Shell. Probably doggone. Elephant birds that weigh half a ton. Enjoy the birds for ten days as a guest of Time Life Books. They'll send it to you free. You better examine the birds' book free. Uh, they'll let you do that for 10 days, money back guaranteed. Send a postcard with your name and address to Birds, B-U-R-D-S, Birds, Box 628, New York, 17, New York. That's Birds, B-U-R-D-S, Box 628, New York, 17, New York. George, nothing's changed. Our sales department is out of its skull these days. What is it? Only smokes. I'm going to be selling gypsy fish bait oil before this year is out. You mark my words, Don. I'll be selling Roy A. Cuff simulated alligator skin leather wallets with a bulletproof Bible sent free if you're the first in your neighborhood to order. I could say, <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, you know, I, uh, I, want, I want to tell you a little more about, about Bangkok. You know, there's so many things I want to talk about. I like to take each country in its turn. And uh, right now I'm thinking about Bangkok. And it's it's peculiar how easily in certain countries you can cause an uproar without knowing that you're about to cause an uproar. And uh, I, I caused, the fellow that I was with, I was with a photographer, unknowingly both of us caused a big hoopla. We came off the boat and, uh, boy, it was hot. We're, we're standing around there and it was about time to eat. And uh, so... I said to the girl that was uh, taking us around, I said, how about, how about taking us to a Thai restaurant? Now, don't take us to the place all the Americans go. Don't take us to a place uh, that's the equivalent of the, uh, the Bangkok Hilton. Uh, take us to a place where people that you know go, you know, Thai people go. And you oh, so you won't go restaurant, huh? Oh, so you won't go restaurant? Want to go restaurant? We take girlfriend. I have girlfriend. We take girlfriend. You want my girlfriend? I don't know. You bring your girlfriend, baby. And uh, so within five minutes, we had picked up her girlfriend, who incidentally, for the entire two and a half hours, uh, we were with her. Beautiful little Thai girl said 
three words. No. Oh, yes. And no. That's all she said. She just kept uh, sort of nodding and bowing. And strange little people. And so we, we, uh, we decided that we were going to get a cab. And um, uh, we, we stood around on the corner for a minute in the cacophony of the traffic, the chaotic, wild, screaming traffic down on the river. Let me tell you, the Thai Navy is an incredible sight. Yeah, do you ever you ever think of the Thai Navy? Well, I was uh, I was on the dock there by this little boat pier where all the boats took off to go off into the into the uh, floating market, and the the entire Thai Navy was tied up there. They had two rowboats. They had the, they had one Chris Craft that was painted gray and it had cardboard guns on it, and they had one used destroyer that I suspect was borrowed from the 1915 Italian Navy. I never saw a destroyer in my life like that. And, and, and they must have had 7,500 sailors on it. I mean, they didn't have many boats, but they had a lot of guys in the Navy, and all of them were officers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, there, was a, there, was a, there was a strange musical comedy quality to their Navy. And they had a sign up there in English and in Thai and in Siamese and about seven different languages that said, Also, stay away, very mysterious military, military territory. Do not take photograph of secret weapon. Well, <laughs> their secret weapon, as I say, was about a 1907 Italian destroyer. And I suspected it was so high out of the water and so slow that it was, in effect, a secret weapon. It would be hard to hit it with a torpedo. And so uh, I stood there and looked at that scene for a while, and the boats and all of the wild uh, uproar on the river. You know, I, uh, river life uh, in the Orient is incredible. Uh, people, uh, people live with rivers. The river is a living thing to so many of them. They, they live in it, they die in it, they eat in it, they bathe in it, they drink it, uh, they cook with it. And they have lived on top of it, many of them, uh, for maybe 10 or 15 generations in their family. Uh, it is as much part of their life as the uh, as the plains are to people who live in Kansas, that ground. And so the river there is very different from a river here in the United States. It's not like going down to the East River. It's like going down to the mother. It's like going down to, to uh, another part of the country. It's, it's uh, so much part of the people there that you just you can't separate them from the water. And so uh, we're waiting for a cab. Well, now, I had seen these things all over the streets are these wild-looking uh, converted motor scooters. Now, these are real motor... You know the kind of little motor scooters that we use here in New York? The postal department has once in a while. You see with the little cab in the back, and the guy is driving in the front. They're little three-wheel vehicles with a little motor scooter uh, front end. Well, they have the, <laughs> the, the... This is what has supplanted the rickshaw in the Far East. They have these little motor scooters with a rickshaw back. It's just like a, like the back you see uh, on a little... on a little. Usually they're beautifully decorated. They have fringe. They have Siamese dancers on the side of them in, in chrome, believe it or not. I, I pulled up. Everything is Rococo there in the east. I pulled up in this cab next to a truck. Can you imagine a truck? Now get this. This is a truck that's delivering plumbing fixtures. It's an ordinary old crummy truck. But listen to what they had done. They had taken the hood off the truck. Now, you got the scene. They had also taken the doors off the truck. And they had replaced them, the guy who owned the truck, with magnificent polished teak. A teak wood hood, all carved. 
all beautifully carved. The doors are all carved with teak wood. And he had, he had silver. And by the way, silver, uh, the native silver is beautiful. Uh, you'll take a look at what Lee's wearing there. There's some of the silver from Bangkok. The native silver is magnificent. And, and he had put filigree all over the hood and the side of the doors in, in, uh, religious, uh, Buddhist figures all running along the side of this crummy old truck. <laughs> a beautiful truck. And so that, that is the kind of transportation that's available to the natives. Only the natives ride in these little, uh, these little, uh, motor scooter type deals. I didn't know that. And so I'm standing there with the girl and with with the, with my photographer friend, and so I, you know, let's take one of these. Come on, let's go. And she she sort of looked at us, kind of a funny. Oh, you, you, uh, so you sure you want to you want to drive on the you sure you want to go on the scooter? I said yes. Let's let's take the scooter. Oh, oh, okay. And so we go over to the scooter driver who's sitting there, sort of half asleep. He's got a little cap on and he's got a blue work shirt, a pair of dungaree shorts, sandals. He's sleeping over his little steering wheel there, and she says something him, to him in silence. He looks up and says, They're having a giant argument about how much it's going to cost. You see, they, nothing is ever bought in Thailand without hoopla and argument. Even a cab. You don't just get in a cab, you know, and say, all right, let's go, man. You argue. And uh, he expects you to do this. And so they finally got it down. It was going to cost us to go all the way across town. It was going to cost us five units of money. Like five dollars? Well, that that amounts to actually 24 cents. <laughs> it's going to cost 24 cents to go across town. So all three of us got in the back of this little scooter. And we took off. And it's got gold fringe hanging down. And the dragons are flying all around us. He's going hell-bent for election in the traffic. And the girl says, she says to me, Oh, jump out. It's very dangerous. They always hit in back. Men drive Mercedes hit back all the time. We'll jump out quick. I say, okay, baby. <laughs> well, we're in the middle of this giant traffic jam, and everybody, all the all the uh, Bangkokians, the, uh, the the Thai natives, are intrigued. They're laughing, and the oh, they're they're pointing and nudging each other because here we are, obviously uh, Caucasians. Obviously, uh, we are we are from the West. And uh, we are riding in the native vehicle. It was a complete departure. And uh, it, one of, it was one of the great moments of my trip, driving across all through that insane traffic. And everywhere you went, all the people are looking out. Oh, so they're waving and they're grinning. <laughs> well, we got to this restaurant. Now, let me describe that for you. You want to hear about this? How, how would you think it would be? Well, uh, this is a Thai restaurant. And remember, this is not for the tourists. This is where the Thai people eat. And it is probably 15 times chicer than anything that you generally find around noontime here in the States. Now, now, why this is, I can't quite explain. But there was a certain peculiar formality to it. Uh, beautiful white tablecloths, and it was all had, had kind of white... Uh, concrete walls inside, very cool. You, uh, there was a doorman who uh, opened the door for us, and down we went into that soft, cool, warm Oriental uh, interior. You, every everything in the Orient, by the way, has a certain smell to it. 
I've talked about the smell of the Orient before, and it's still there. I, I'm here to report to you that it's still there, and I still have some shirts in my in my bag which I have not unpacked, which smell like that peculiar Oriental quality. Now remember, Thailand is a jungle land. Uh, so much of the Orient is hot, jungle-like, and uh, so there is a smell in the air always of a kind of green, uh, decadent, uh, growing lushness. You smell this all the time in many countries in the Orient, uh, especially in that area, in the in the Malaysian area. It, it is just it is just a current constant smell. It's always with you, and you just after a while you don't even notice it. That and the river, uh, that and the strange foods that are cooked. Much of the cooking, by the way, is done outside. You smell that. Uh, you smell uh, the smell of gasoline and kerosene mixed in with that. And there is a strange kind of burning sandalwood, burnt coffee smell that mingles with all of that. And that's the smell of the East. It's like no other place in the world. You, you just smell it all the time. And so we go down into this, this lovely, soft interior of this, this restaurant. And I notice off to my left there's a stage, a real nightclub type stage, you know, with the with the with the hanging curtains, the the uh, velvet curtains and the gold fringe and all that stuff. And and there's a couple of little music stands up there. And the the waiter comes over and he bows. He's got a red coat. And the girl talks to him in the native language. And uh, she says to, she says to us, uh, "We want uh, American food. I serve I got American food." Apparently. The Thais love to go to the exotic restaurants. Uh, <laughs> in other words, uh, now she wasn't taking us to an American restaurant. Do you get the difference there? She was taking us to a restaurant where the Thai people go to eat what they think is American food. It's like, you know, the average uh, citizen of Newark comes into New York City and he goes to the Mandarin house, you know, to eat Chinese food. Now, he's in an American restaurant, after all. You know, it's uh, down 13th Street, or it's up here on 2nd Avenue. Uh, and and he's, he's eating what he thinks is Chinese food. Now, here we are. We're sitting in this place. And she says, very proud. She said, would you like American food? They serve what I got American food. Well, I was tempted to say what? You know, what, what do you got, baby? You know, <laughs> what, 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 what are you going to give me here for American food? But I, I, I wanted to eat the Thai food, so I said, no, no, I want, I want Thai food. And uh, she says something to the waiter, and he hands her the Thai menu. And this is, the, this is a good Thai food. Now, my buddy is sitting across the table from me. And uh, he prides himself on being an international type, you know, that kind of, he says, he, he keeps saying he likes Chinese food. Wherever we go, he likes Chinese food. We're in Frankfurt, he says he wants to eat Chinese food. We have the worst Chinese food in the world in Frankfurt. If you can imagine going to Frankfurt and eating Chinese food. So, so here we're sitting, he's, he's looking forward to this. And he says, yeah, he said, bring me, uh, bring me real Thai food. And so, uh, the girl says, oh, you all like soup? And I said, yeah, yeah, bring, bring some soup. You like uh, not so hot? Maybe you like hot or not so hot? Uh, you like hot soup? And I said, well, maybe you better go easy. Let's say not so hot. Okay? Not so hot. She said, oh, okay, not so hot. She talks to the waiter. And then she says, well, you have uh, chicken? How you like chicken? How you like a pork? I said, well, uh, 
How about some beef? She talks to the Chinese, or the, the, the Siamese waiter, who's a big, he's the biggest one I ever saw. Big man. Well, about ten minutes later, the food arrived, and it was beautiful. Oh, talk about beautiful food to look at. Just, it was just magnificently prepared. Beautiful food. Uh, rice. Uh, I had rice and uh, little tiny pieces of pork and shrimp. And uh, there was another rice dish with uh, tiny pieces of marinated, uh, shredded, uh, quick-fried beef and the soup. Here comes the moment of decision. The soup arrives in a little bowl, and it's prawn soup, and it's a piece of prawn from the river. It's, it's prawn soup. It's a little bowl. With the, you know, that little scoop type of uh, spoon that they have in the East, a little scoop. It looks like a little sugar scoop. So I scoop out a little of that soup, and I put it into my little bowl. I wondered why the bowls were so small. These bowls were about the size of tiny Japanese teacups, the kind that they have for dollar. A little, little bowl of soup, a little tiny thing. So I scoop up a little, and I put it in my in my bowl. My buddy, you know, he's the Chinese food expert. He goes, right, give, me this, give me some of the soup. He goes, like that. And he puts it into his bowl. And I'm sitting there talking to the girl. And, I, and by just by a coincidence, I happen to be looking across at my friend's face. He takes a spoon of this soup, his little white spoon. He goes like that. His face, I never saw anything like it. His face turned, well, I, 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 hate, I hate to even use the word white. It's, 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 uh, it's just not strong enough. His face turned a, a cold ice blue, if anything. It was just sort of, you could just see like that. His features were frozen. And, and you could see his eyes sort of stuck out like that. And he just, I, I heard two little, like that. And, and the girl heard this, and she turns, and she says, Oh, so you like soup, Bob. Uh, try so. And she takes a little, Oh, it's very good. Not so hot. Not so hot. And, well, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a guy that grew up in the Mexican chili parlors, you know, in the Midwest. So I take a, a, a sip of that soup. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, this, this was the hottest, single hottest soup I've ever had in my, my whole born days. And she is so proud, and the waiter is so proud of it. And there we're sitting there, and so I take a little piece of the prawn. Ooh, the prawn, oh, it burns all the way down. But the food, the, 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 the food, the other food, while hot, after, after the soup, anything was, you know, I, believe me, I could, have, I could have sucked on a blowtorch after the soup, and I'd have liked it, you know, it would have been no problem at all. Because the other food, I don't know whether that was hot or not. After the soup, because by that, by that point, my larynx was vulcanized. You know, my tongue was solid leather, and it had little cleats on it. <laughs> I just sat there. <laughs> well, you want to hear the, 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 the rest of what happened in that restaurant? It was insane. We're sitting there, and it's beginning to fill up, and we're eating the food. By this time, I'm really digging the food, though. You know, I, I was enjoying it, uh, and my friend was still sitting over there. He was white. Uh, he he took the soup the wrong way. You know how? Can you imagine something so hot going down the wrong pipe? Well, that's what happened to him. You could just see that his feet were paralyzed. He sat there for over a half an hour without saying a word. He couldn't say a word. He just everything was paralyzed. His nerve endings were just standing there. Well, I'm sitting there. I'm eating the food, and I see beginning to gather up on the on the stage is this Thai band. 
there are five of the hippest looking musicians you ever saw in your life. These guys obviously read Downbeat from one page, you know, page after page. They read every every word, obviously, of Downbeat. <laughs> they had shades, you know, the whole bit with the jazzy band jackets. And you don't think in terms of, of live nightclub-type music and entertainment in the middle of the afternoon. This is noon, do you? Well, let me tell you. They started to play, and these guys were playing pennies from heaven. It's a real swinging modern jazz quintet, uh, and they're really blowing. And the 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 guy who's the head of it is the is the alto man, and he's looking down at me. And I reached in my pocket, and I took out this. And he heard the sound of the Jews harp, and he stopped. Do you know, for 15 minutes, I fought off the Thai musicians with a crowded crowded nightclub floor. They wanted me to come up and sit in with them on the Jews harp. They never heard anything like it. And I sat there at the table, and I'm playing Jews, and we're playing Pennies from Heaven, we're playing How High the Moon, you know. Man, you know, and then one after the other, the singers started to sing. You never saw—I I, I guarantee you—you you never have seen anything like the the Oriental singers, the Chinese singers. Look, I'll, I've got a lot more to tell you about. I'll, I'll carry this on tomorrow. Let's get a couple of these commercials out of the way. Let's see, what's this? Another uh, another warehouse sale of luxury vinyls for upholstery? No, what? No, no? I'm off. Oh. Well, now, what do you mean? Don't. This is off. Oh, okay. What's this one? Uh, school. Oh, yes. If your son or daughter has graduated from high school and plans to attend college this fall, here is a message for you. What's this about? This is new since I've been around. Barrington Hills is a newly established seminar in college prep located in Barrington, New Hampshire. Barrington Hills. Oh, boy. Don't they, don't they spoon feed kids these days? You know, prepare them to go to prep school you know, on that kind of stuff. Barrington Hills has been created for the purpose of making available to college-bound young men and women information and guidance important to them in order to adjust to the brand-new experience of away-from-home life at school. If you'd like to find out about this, send your name and address to Barrington Hills in care of WOR New York 18. Oh, gee, I've got so much more to tell you about this thing. So how about tomorrow night? We'll talk more about Bangkok. You want to hear about Sydney and Anzac Day? Do you want to hear about the two days I spent on a, the, the furthest south, the, the, the most southern of all the true tropical islands, the Pacific Tropical Coral Islands? Do you want to hear about that? Oh, man, what a trip. Just stick around and keep your knees loose.
This is WOR Radio, your station for news.